This morning, uh, we're going to continue our, our study through the book of Mark, and we'll be in Mark 9, 14 through 29, so I encourage you to turn there in your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs just in front of you on the bottom. I'd encourage you to, to take one of those out if you don't have one, and the passage on page 844. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are so big and wonderful. God, I do thank you for the sweet noise um, coming from these, the mouths of these little ones singing your praise this morning. I pray that the words that were in their mouths this morning and coming out would, would penetrate their hearts one day and that they would know you and that they would worship you, that they would see you as glorious and delightful and, and live to serve and worship you. Father, I thank you for what a privilege it is to be here this morning, to get in your word and to sing to you and be with the people of God. Um, Lord, what a, what a great picture of what it's going to be like in heaven as we look to you to satisfy us, and, and you will, as we'll be glorified with you forever. And what a beautiful picture that is, and yet we get a taste of it this morning. And I pray we'd get a taste of your glory this morning as we open your word and we, we read about how great Jesus is. And um, I pray that you would work mightily in our hearts, God. I thank you for the work you've done in my own heart in reading and studying out this passage. And I pray that you would do much work this morning. Father, we completely depend on you through your Son by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So again, it's Mark nine fourteen through 29. And let's read it. And if you remember, it was the disciples were on a mountain and they had seen Christ's glory and the transfiguration. And now they've come down and this is where we enter the text this morning. And when they came to the other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out of the boy, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up, and he arose. And we had entered the house. His disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out 
by anything but prayer. Have you ever considered lying about your credentials on your resume? Thankfully, I don't see any heads nodding up and down or any hands going up. That's a good thing. I would not advise that you would do that. But a cousin of mine, well, actually, it's on my wife's side, of course. But, no, just kidding. Um, he found out the hard way what happens when you, when you don't tell the truth on something like that. You see, he was a young man just out of high school. He had no education. And he was sick of making minimum wage at a job. So he thought, you know, I need to find something else. And when he had heard that he could make four to five times as much working at a landscaping job, he thought, this is my ticket. And he went and he applied. And when he got the, the application, it said that there was experience required. That didn't stop him. He just wrote down he had experience. He was confident in himself. He thought, it can't be that hard. So he, he did it. And, and this cousin happens to be a very smooth talker. I'm sure the interview went very well. He, he definitely made a good impression. The boss hired him. He got the job. So fast forward to the first day of work. Things were going really well until they pulled up to the job site. When they got to the job site, the boss jumps out of the truck and he says, I need you to back this truck up. I'm going to go talk to the customer. And so he's like, okay. He gets in the truck and after about 15 to 20 tries trying to back down this driveway, all the crew had gathered. They're all just laughing at this, this guy that doesn't know what he's doing, mocking him. He realizes, okay, I don't have what it takes to do this. There's no way, right? Whenever someone sets out to do more than they... When, they th- when we think too highly of ourselves, we make fools of ourselves. And that's what happens to the disciples this morning in the text. Last week we saw, again, how Jesus, accompanied by his inner circle, he went up on the mountain. Jesus revealed his glory, that he is God in the flesh. And they saw his glory. And now they didn't stay there. They had to come back. And what I want you to know as well, at this point in Mark's gospel, it starts to turn, and, and the disciples and Jesus are now starting to travel to Jerusalem. And we know that he's, he's, he's told his disciples that he's, it's coming when he's going to suffer and die. And now they're walking there. Um, and, and I want you to know this too. On the road as they travel, you'll notice that crowds are not bombarding him as much anymore. He's, he's withdrawing with his disciples, and he's, he's devoting his last amount of time to instructing them because he's not going to be there with them anymore. So he begins to teach them about things like humility, the seriousness of sin, about marriage and divorce, and sacrificial service, among many other things. And what I want you to see this morning is this. Sandwiching all these lessons at the beginning and the end are two lessons on faith. Okay? And just like a mother who's sitting around a campfire with her little kids that keeps saying, back up, back up, back up. It's like Jesus is saying, do this by faith. Do this by faith. All that I'm teaching you, do this by faith. So Jesus and the three, they've come down the mountain. And in verse 14, we read what they, they come down to. It says, And when they, came to the rest of the, when they came to the rest of the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. So the crowd runs over and Jesus is like, Why are you arguing with these guys, right? And you'll notice that the disciples aren't quick to say, oh, this is what's happening, Jesus. They're actually quiet. And it's another man. It's the the man, the father in the crowd that comes out and he says, listen, he starts describing, my son is possessed by a demon. I brought him here to you. You weren't here, so I asked your disciples, cast him out, and, and they were not able to do it. 
Now, um, I, I just I, I want you to understand this morning, this isn't some super demon that Jesus can't handle. It's not some super demon that his power cannot handle. This is just like any demon we've seen Jesus cast out. It even says in Mark 6, 13, that the disciples had gone out and cast out many demons. This is not a super demon. So Jesus asks, anyways, they, they come down, and he says, what are you arguing with the scribes about? And the man answers, I brought you my son, you weren't here, and I asked your disciples to cast them out, but they weren't able to. And we're going to come back to some of these details about this man and what he says, what his situation is, but right now I want to move forward in the text. I want us to follow Jesus and his disciples, okay? So basically he heals the boy, he casts out the demon, and he withdraws with his disciples. And all the way down, if you go down to verse 28, you'll see that the disciples and Jesus withdrew to a house and, and the disciples ask this question. They say, why could we not cast it out? And I want you to just notice how this question is, is posed, okay? It's as if they had been baffled by what had happened and on an awkward, silent walk back to this house, they were all thinking the same thing and yet not vocalizing it. And finally they walk in and someone's like, why couldn't we cast it out? Okay? There's no context given. It's not like, Oh, Jesus, you remember that demon earlier today, that one? What, what happened? No, everybody's thinking about it, and they're like, why couldn't we do it? They want to know what, what was different this time. They had cast out many de demons before. What was it that made it impossible? What was it that made them look like failures in front of the crowd and in front of the, the scribes? And this is how Jesus responds in verse 29. He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And if you have the King James Version, it says prayer, prayer and fasting. So it seems like in the text that prayer is the ticket, right? That you just need to pray and it'll be fine. But it's kind of a yes and a no. And let me, let me describe a little bit. You see, if prayer itself is the magic formula, just simply praying and, and saying the name of God, then mindless prayers would work. Prayers to the saints might even work. Or verbal attacks, yelling at God, telling him how much you despise him. They'd all be talking to God, right? But there's a deeper issue here than just simply prayer or, or even fasting. There's something that has to accompany prayer, and the disciples completely lacked it. In fact, they lacked it so much, it says they never prayed at all. Look at what's recorded in Matthew's account of this situation. So after his disciples ask why they couldn't cast out the demon in the house, Jesus responds in Matthew 17, 20. He says, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He's not preaching that you're going to have endless, limitless power. What he's saying to the disciples is, in other words, if you had just sought me and depended on me, you could have cast out the demon, but you didn't. Back to Mark in verse 19. Remember, after, after Jesus had heard that the disciples couldn't cast out the demon and the crowd was there. Listen to what Jesus, listen to how Jesus responds in verse 19 at hearing it. He says, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long must I bear with you? 
First of all, can you just imagine being Jesus? You're morally perfect and all glorious, and you've come down to earth, and your closest followers, the ones that are supposed to be leaders for you, they, they just don't have a clue. They completely lack faith. They're dull. Could you imagine how frustrating that would be? And yet Jesus doesn't sin, right? And second, do you see in this picture how the disciples lacked faith? And think about this. Up until this point, other than a couple occasions, the disciples have always walked with Jesus. They've seen Jesus, right? And they walk with him and they do things and they're relying on him and he's heading this thing and he's doing things and they know it's by him. But very soon, Jesus isn't going to be with them any longer, is he? Like I said, they're going to Jerusalem. He's going to be killed on a cross. So the whole point of this failure that Jesus allowed to happen to the disciples, the whole point of this is that they learn to walk by faith. Okay? And the first part of this lesson is this. When we fail to walk by faith, we fail to bring glory to God. It really doesn't matter if we pray doesn't matter if we fast every day. It doesn't matter if we serve more than anyone in the church. It doesn't matter if we're super mom or super dad. If it's apart from faith, it cannot please God. Hebrews 11.6 says just that. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And John 15.5 says that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And it's referring to bearing fruit for God, doing things that would please him. We can't do it apart from faith. The disciples totally failed to see their need for God by faith. Think about this. They were being sent out to storm the gates of hell. And that can only be done in God's power. And they thought, we're good. We got this. I think we finally learned it all. God, you can sit this one out. We got this. And they went out and they completely failed. The truth is, I think they had faith, but it wasn't in God. It was in themselves. They went out and they were striving in their own, own power. And, and just think about it. If we go out and we're striving in our own power, guess who gets patted on the back? Guess who gets all the glory? We do, because I'm great. Did you see what I did? I'm great. No, God's, God loves his people too much to let them go out around thinking, I am great, I am glorious. No, God is great. God is glorious. He deserves the glory. And there are... All you have to do is turn on your TV and you can find a dozen ministers on TV who are going out and they're in it for their own glory. They're in it for the money. They left God behind a long time ago and they want to receive praise and glory and they want to have a fancy jet and they want to have a a mansion and and they appear to be successful. They're getting rich. But we know that all of that one day will pass away and they're completely missing out on the greatest thing we could ever do which is bring glory to God and enjoy him. So I encourage you this morning, I want you to think about your own life. Think about the life that God has given you, what he's called you to. Think about your family life, where you work, in your neighborhood. Are there areas in your life where you're going forward and you're leaving God out of it? And you're striving with faith in yourself, faith in your own strength? Are there areas where you're completely failing to bring glory to God because you've left him out of the picture? I do. For me, it was Monday. Monday was a little different than the usual Monday because I'm preaching this week and it, it tends to get really busy when I'm preaching. So I come on Monday and I thought, I'm going to get started right away. I, I usually print, I copy and paste the text into a Word document so I can double space it and just 
write all over the text, all my notes and everything. So I was doing that, and I was just really struggling. I was struggling and thinking, how am I going to turn this passage into a sermon? I just don't, it's not affecting my heart. I'm not seeing it. I'm starting to feel stressed because now I've got all these things to do, and I don't know how this is going to work. Went to, it was 6 o'clock at night, came, it was time for a community group. I went there, and I was just stuck in my head, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And, and it wasn't a great community group night for me because I was so focused on myself. I was stressed. I was like, how am I going to do this? Next morning, I'm back at work again. I'm studying this text thinking, what am I going to do with this thing? And I get a text from a brother that was at community group. He goes, hey, are you okay? You just didn't seem quite yourself yesterday. And I started thinking, well, this is what's wrong. I've got to preach, and this is really stressful, and it's hard work. And I just got done reading this passage, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is me. I am the disciples right now. I'm not, I'm not worshiping God. I'm not seeking him for strength. I'm not begging, Lord, please work through me. Please make your word come alive in my heart so that I am worshiping you. I've completely failed. And God is so awesome. He loves us so much. He disciplines us. He corrects us. And he allows us to repent and come back and say, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm such a fool. You are so good. Thank you. And the rest of the week was filled with hard work, but it was good, and I was at peace, and I was, I was resting in Christ, and I was seeking him. So I, would, I would just, my hope this morning as we study through this text is that this passage would affect your heart and change it as it has mine. And, and, and I know that we are in need of this. We're in need of this daily to consider the, this text. But when we fail to walk by faith, we fail to bring glory to God. So we've seen in the Gospel of Mark how there's always a constant crowd around Jesus and the disciples. They try to get away for rest, boom, there they are. They want something. And that's just it. The crowd is usually there because they want something from Jesus. They don't really get who he is. They're like, give me, give me, give me, right? Well, here in this passage, it's from such a crowd that Jesus finds an object lesson to teach his disciples about faith. It involves the man who steps out of the crowd looking for his son to be healed. And again, I want you to think about this. This man is very much like any people in the number of crowds they've seen in the Gospel of Mark. This isn't some special guy that has perfect faith, that's got it all together. He's just like the rest. He really doesn't get it. But this is the man who's going to teach the disciples what it means to have faith. Yes, he struggles to believe, and yes, he openly expresses doubt, but he teaches us an important lesson, and it's this. Even a little faith in a big God it changes everything. If you look at what he says in verse 17, he says, I brought my son to you, Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. He says, I brought my son to you. While his disciples had failed miserably to seek out God to perform their exorcism, this man comes to Jesus. His faith is tiny and it's imperfect but it's focused in the right place. Remember, this is important because I think we get caught up in this. True faith is not believing you'll get what you want. So often we pray and we're totally dependent, we're totally having faith in our faith. If I just believe, I know I'm going to get a new car. If I just believe, I know this person's going to be healed. And it's faith in our faith. True faith is not believing you're going to get what you want. True faith is believing in a person. True faith is believing in Jesus Christ. 
just think about this. True faith is in a person who happens to be the sovereign God of the universe. What would you rather trust in? My weak, broken down faith that doesn't even have the faith to pray, to study, and preach the word and prepare for a sermon? Or the strength and power of the almighty God of the universe who created everything by simply speaking into existence and, and, and he calls us to have faith in him. Which is greater? Faith in my faith or faith in such a God who wants to act for you? It's faith in a God that's so big. And again, this, this guy, he doesn't get it all. He doesn't realize the extent of Jesus' greatness, okay? He doesn't get it all. Not, he's not perfect. In fact, as we could look at like Hebrews 11, the great cloud of what we could find so much greater faith throughout all of Scripture. But again, this guy has faith that seeks out God. He comes to Jesus. True faith is in a person that comes to Jesus. And I just want to say, yes, yes, yes. Faith involves bringing our requests to God. We should come and ask and we should bring things to God, but with hearts that trust him. We trust the person of God when we bring our requests to him. We trust that he's going to give what's needed. We trust that his will is good. We trust that he can bring glory to himself in any situation. And we trust that he will sanctify us as his will unfolds. So for starters, if a, if a tiny amount of faith is going to make all the difference, it has to be focused in God himself, nothing else. We must come to God through Jesus. And second, if, a, if, if, if it's going to be a small amount of faith that can make all the difference, it has to be a faith that is depending on that God, not on ourselves. We have to depend on that God. And while the disciples failed miserably to depend on God, this man demonstrates dependence. I think this man exemplifies what Jesus meant when, in the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about the poor in spirit. This man realizes he has nothing to bring to the table and he's fully depending on Jesus. Just listen to his words. In verse 22, he comes to Jesus and he says, he's begging. He says, have compassion on us. Okay, I think we can just... We, we read that, yeah, big deal. But I want you to think about this. When was the last time you had to walk up to someone and beg, please have compassion on me? Probably a long time, if ever. What would it take for you to have to do that? You would have to, I would have had to probably explored all options of handling it myself, looked into everything, and if I realized I was totally desperate and without hope and there was one person that offered hope, then I might go to them and beg because I'd be desperate. But not until then. This man is desperate and he comes to Jesus to meet his need. And in verse 22, he cries out, Help us. In the Greek, the, this, help us is one Word and, it, and it, what it literally means is is run to run to the aid of someone crying for help. Okay, so it really explains this man's position. He is crying for help and he's saying, "Please run to me. Please help me." He's totally depending on Jesus. He's crying for help, and in Matthew's gospel, he adds that at this point he's on his knees and he's calling Jesus Lord, which means master. He's completely depending on Jesus. And if that's not enough, he comes up and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. 
In other words, I believe as far as I can, but I need you to overcome what's lacking. I know something's lacking. Help me get it. I don't get it. Help me understand it. And we, ourselves, we don't understand always what God is doing. We don't understand um, where we're going to get the strength to do what he's calling us to do. We don't always get it. But faith does not require that we do those things perfectly. It does not require perfect strength in ourselves. It doesn't require perfect knowledge in our head. It requires that we, like this man, draw near to God and depend on him. Consider this. I think it would do Christians well, when it's applicable, to stop praying prayers that are pretend Like we have it all together because we want to look good and we want to look like we have great faith in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It would do us well to stop pretending and to start praying, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. Please run to my aid. I have nowhere to go but to you. We would do well to do that. So I'd encourage you to think about this this morning. Where are you at with Christ this morning? Have you placed faith in Christ? Perhaps you've come here this morning and you're a self-made man or woman and you've never needed anything from anybody and you especially not consider turning to Jesus. But I'm, I want to tell you this morning that you need Jesus and you need to come to Jesus by faith. You have a great need. And I'm not just talking about, yeah, Jesus is really cool. You should add him to your life so that you can have him there on the little side and go to him whenever you want and live your life the same way you live. No, I'm saying you need Jesus. Like this man saw that he knew he needed Jesus. That's how bad. You need Jesus so much that you have to come to him and say, ah, Lord, please have compassion on me. Okay, and what is your greatest need? Your greatest need is that you were created by a holy, wonderful God and he created you to glorify him and enjoy him and to obey him. And rather than doing that, we've turned aside. We've said, no thanks. I think I'm going to run the ship. I'll do a much better job. And we, we live our lives for ourselves, for our own glory. And God says, no, it's not okay. And he's not going to accept that. He calls it sin. And he says that he will bring all sin to justice, that all who have sinned, I have sinned, we all have sinned, will be brought to justice. Rebels will be brought to justice. Because God is just. That's part of his goodness. We want him to be just. But he's also merciful. And he's also a God that's not going to just allow his creation go kaput and leave it alone and let it all go to hell. No, God loves us. And God is going to act for his glory. And he sent Jesus to to put on a body. God the Son became a man so he could live a perfect life where you failed and so he could go to the cross and take the wrath of God, the judgment of God, so that you could go free. If you even wanted to make peace with God, you couldn't because you'd have nothing. But God came and made peace with you through Jesus on the cross. So I encourage you this morning, to come to realize your need. We are sinful people. I see it every day in my heart. We're all sinners. Christ came and died for us to make peace so that we could be brought to God, so that we could be reconciled to him, so we could be his children. 
And we can bear fruit by faith if we trust in Christ. So I urge you this morning to turn from sin. Turn to Jesus. Does he require perfect faith? No. You need to know that you need Jesus. He did everything for you on the cross. Trust in him this morning. Does it require perfect strength? No. Come to him weak, understanding you can do nothing, and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief this morning. So a little bit of faith in a really big God can change everything if we draw near to God dependently through Jesus. And Jesus, again, like I said, he's, he's no doubt preparing his disciples for his departure. He's preparing them to walk by faith because he's not going to be there forever. And I want to end by summarizing things on this one final point, and it's just this. As Christians, we must walk by faith, not by sight. Peter, James, and John went up the mountain with Jesus. They saw the glory of Christ. As Luke talked about last week, the plan wasn't to stay there and build a home and to live there forever. No, the plan was to come down so they could be about the work of storming the gates of hell by bringing the gospel to the world and making disciples, to make followers of Christ and to do it in God's power. And we as Christ Church were tasked to do the same thing today to go and make disciples. And it's a work that we cannot do. I cannot in my own power bring anyone to Christ and neither can you. We have to strive by faith dependent on God. And in case you haven't noticed, we're not up on a mountaintop of glory all the time either, are we? Our time has not come yet. We are here in this world where it has fallen. Satan's kingdom is always attacking God's kingdom. And we're tempted to be distracted by the shiny things of this world that he puts before us. We're tempted to be distracted. Like Peter at the Transfiguration, we're tempted to build our home on earth and to to be consumed by our earthly kingdom that we're building for ourselves and our glory. And we're tempted to rely on our own strength and do things so that we can look awesome. But we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. So how do you know if you're walking by faith or not? I promise you that you're failing to walk by faith daily because our faith is is weak. But God is so good. He's so great. Again, consider adding this to your prayer life. I believe. Help me to believe. Right? That's what we need to say. That's how we need to draw near to God. But we could all stand to grow in walking by faith a little bit. So this morning, I just want to go over a few questions to help you think about in any given moment, am I walking by faith? And I guarantee you, a lot of times you're going to go, ooh, no, I'm not. I want you to, when you do that, I want you to remember the cross, that Jesus did everything to reconcile you to God, and he wants to empower you to serve him and bear fruit, and you can't do it in your own strength. You can only do it by faith. So how do you know if you're walking by faith? In any given moment, you could ask yourself, number one, what is my greatest desire? Of course, this should be God if we recognize who he is. We recognize that he's far greater than any of the shiny things in the world and our greatest desire is for him and yet we so quickly get distracted. And the things that we get distracted by, they cannot fulfill us. They will always disappoint us. After they get old, we want to move on to the next thing and the next thing. And it's only someone as great as God who can say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
When you, your number one desire is Christ, you receive your number one desire because he gives of himself to those who seek him. Idols only keep us wanting more. Number two, a good question to ask yourself to see if you're walking by faith is, am I obeying Christ? Because if your answer is no, you've already, you've already given in to desire and you've made a decision, now you're acting on it and you're in sin. And if, this, if, this, if you ask yourself in any given situation and you're in sin, then you need to repent. You need to turn from sin to God, ask forgiveness, and, and, and seek him. John Piper put it at, this way at the, at the pastor's conference last year. He said about sin and how serious it is and we need to beware. He said, you need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin leads to death. And to be stuck in a pattern of sin and to allow it in your life is going to take you down a road you don't want to go down. So kill your sin, draw near to God, seek to obey him in your own strength, no, in God's strength. Number three, a good question to ask yourself is who am I relying on? Like the disciples and like me on Monday, we seem to forget that we need God and we seem to go before, we seem to go out without him. But thankfully, he disciplines us. He reminds us of our need. Hopefully, we don't have to look like too big of a fool before he reminds us of this and then we rely on him. But we need to strive in his strength if we're going to accomplish anything for him at all. And lastly, number four, you can ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? I don't, I should say I know about you because I know about myself. I'm so quick to do things for the approval of man because I want people to think I'm nice and I want people to think I'm great and I want people to tell me that and I want people to think I'm godly. But there's one who truly does deserve the approval of man and it's God and he is worthy of worship and honor and praise. We are not. If we're doing things so that God gets glory, we will never tire of doing it because he's got an endless supply of glory to motivate us. If we're doing it for ourselves, we're going to let ourselves down. We're going to let others down. We should be striving so that God gets eternal glory. So this week as we go out, I'd encourage you, may we not think too highly of ourselves, but may we rather draw near to Christ by faith May we depend on Christ by faith to accomplish what he has given us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we so need you. Lord, I thank you that you have given yourself to us completely, that you are there, you're 100% available. You have not hidden yourself from your creation, but you you have revealed yourself through your word and through your Son. We need you, Lord. I pray this morning that we would consider trusting in you again. We would see our deep need and we would depend on you and draw near to you so that you would get glory. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.